Peter, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the word. Thanks for listening. We're sad that Blake and Becca can't be with us tonight, but we're also joyful and we also celebrate because their son... Boom. William Blackwell Jenkins was born this morning, and Becca, yes, yes. And Becca is, is healthy. Blake is doing all right on the hospital food. And so they, I, I was talking with Blake this morning, and he said they've been up all night, and it was 10 a.m., and he said it felt like it was 6 p.m., 6 p.m. to them. But they're making it. Baby's healthy, and so we praise God for that, and we celebrate because of that. I'm expectant though and I'm joyful that the Lord is still going to move tonight and our text that was so wonderfully well read by my amazing wife Beth is from Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18 and through this text we're going to we're going to be challenged a little bit and challenged in a way that we're not used to being challenged. Like Blake said, my name is Ben, and I'm the college ministry coordinator here at Dawson. So if I haven't met you, I would absolutely love to meet you. And I attended Sanford University. I don't know, how many of you guys go to Sanford? Probably a a decent amount. We also have some other schools represented here, I know, and we also have some young adults here as well, which is amazing. But I went to Sanford University, and we had this thing at Sanford you probably had something like this at your school. It was called the Sanford Recruitment Team. And so you might, yeah, so you might have it, a recruitment team at your school. But essentially what we did with this was we would give tours and we would host people on preview days. And so I was a part of the Sanford Recruitment Team. But during this time, during the time that I was a part of the recruitment team at Sanford, it was a very lazy season of of mine. I struggled with laziness. I would procrastinate quite a bit and, and it was, I, 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 maybe I say this to make myself feel better, but I feel like we all go through a season of laziness in my life. But my laziness time, really it was more than sophomore year, but I'll just say sophomore year just to make myself seem a little better. But I struggled with laziness. That was the prime. Sophomore year was the prime for me. I struggled with laziness, struggled with procrastination. And I was a part of the Sanford recruitment team, and I, I, I was ecstatic when I got this. I was so excited when I, when I got the call and said, hey, we want you to be a part of this. I couldn't wait to give tours. I couldn't wait to meet people. I love people. Then the tour schedules came out, and my tour slot was Wednesday at 8 a.m. and Friday at 3 p.m. So midweek at 8 a.m., Midweek, I was having to wake up, give a tour at 8 a.m. Friday at 3 p.m. when the weekend had begun, I was having to give a tour. So we had this group me where you could message in the group me and you could tell somebody. It was for emergencies only. And you would tell the, the SRT, the community in, in SRT, the SRT members, you would tell them, hey, I'm, I have this going on. Can somebody cover my tour? I pretty much had my tour covered every single week, and I would, I would send stuff. I, I, 
I would say, like, I have this appointment that I have to get to. Can somebody cover my tour? When really, I was going to get a haircut at my walk-in barber shop. Or I would tell them that I had this really important meeting, and I was just meeting up with, with my close friends, and we were playing 2K on Xbox. So I really expanded upon this, and, and I got my tour covered quite a bit. And it, it was about mid-semester, and, and I guess I just couldn't get anybody to cover my tour. And so I showed up for this tour, and when I walked into the office, in the office was the most amazing, beautiful, yes, but kind, gentle, sweethearted girl that I had ever met. And I can say this without it being weird, because she ended up, she's my wife now. I showed up for the tour, and I gave the tour with Beth, and it was great. It was wonderful. I didn't show up for any more tours after that. But thankfully, God still worked it in where, where Beth and I reconnected down the road. But I was thinking about this personally for me. This season of laziness in my life. Because of my laziness, I missed out on giving tours with my future wife for the whole year. And similar... In a similar way, I feel like as believers, as Christians, I'm going to be honest, I feel like we can let our laziness cause us to miss out on so much more that God has planned for us and planned for our lives. And so this text from Philippians is all action. So if you came here hoping to recline, I, I'm sorry. This text from Philippians is all action. And, and this isn't just another message of, I don't want you to tune out and think, oh, this is just another message of pull, up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get going, figure everything out on your own. This is going to challenge us to take action, yes. But it's going to grip us and it's going to challenge us in a new way. And so the title of this sermon tonight is Faithful Obedience. Faithful Obedience. What does this entail? Number one, faithful obedience requires an understanding on our end that there is work to be done. There is work to be done. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Before we dive into this point, uh, let me unpack some context for us. So Paul, prominent writer in the Bible, right? If you're not familiar with Paul, Paul is a prominent writer in the Bible. He's written many of the books in the Bible. And in this letter, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. Paul has a history with the church of Philippi. Paul, deep history with the church of Philippi. Paul has been imprisoned, thrown in jail, and throughout this whole process, the church of Philippi supports Paul. Doesn't turn their back on Paul. And, and it, something that would be easy to do, right? Somebody gets thrown in prison. There's this stigma now that surrounds this person. It's easy just to turn your back on them and not want to associate with that person. But the church of Philippi stood by Paul's side. But deeper than this, the church of Philippi 
in contrast to some of the other churches, continued to be obedient. Some of the other churches, similar, for example, Galatia or the church of Corinth, they wavered in their faith, right? But the church of Philippi remains obedient. They have been obedient to the gospel. So now you might be thinking, okay, Ben, you've unpacked this context. What does this have to do with the point there is work to be done? The significant part of this is Paul is showing us through this letter to the church of Philippi that obedience isn't meant to be a temporal thing, a temporary thing. Obedience, as believers, obedience is required through all seasons. And this is something that it's easy to fall into this trap. As college students and as young adults, it's easy to fall into the trap of temporal obedience, temporary obedience. To pick and choose the moments of our life when we want to be obedient. The trap of seasonal obedience. Obedience. And what, what, what do I mean by this? The call... This call to obedience can look a lot like this in our lives. This call to obedience can, can easily be wrapped around us wanting to impress other people. Us being obedient can circulate around this idea of wanting to impress other people because... Just because, I mean, it's, it's, social media has a lot of good things. But because of social media, so many of us have become actors in the life that we live. We live our lives to impress other people. To put, to put on a good face for other people. And we love to portray a Christian lifestyle on the outside. But on the inside, we know that we couldn't be further from it. We might say, I'm, I'm going to go to church every Sunday so that that can be seen. But what people don't see is, is on Friday and Saturday, I have no problem hanging out and getting drunk at that party. We might say, I'm, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to post a sermon clip on my Instagram story. But throughout the day, I'm going to talk whatever way I want whatever manner I want, use whatever language I want, I'm going to gossip, I'm going to ridicule. But it's all good. Because I posted a sermon clip on my Instagram story. I, in my relationships, I'm going to make sure that people know I'm reading Single, Dating, Engaged. Good book, nothing against the book. I love the book. going to make sure people know that I'm reading this book, but really in my private relationships, I'm doing whatever I want. I'm bending the line, crossing the line. Or when I'm alone, when it's just me and my screen, I'm, I'm watching whatever I want. But hey, I'm reading single, dating, and engaged, so it's all good. The list goes on, but really through this, what we're talking about, it's, it's not just temporary obedience. It's not just seasonal obedience. What we are talking about here is an abuse 
of the grace of God. This is not just temporary obedience, obedience here and there, picking and choose. It is something much deeper. This is an abuse of the grace that we have been so freely given. And Paul is convicting us and he is reminding us that this call to obedience is one that should never be temporary. And I want you to hear me right now in this room. Wherever you sit in your life, whatever season you are in, there is no excuse why you cannot be obedient in the season that you are in. This call to obedience is not meant to be temporary. And we see that in 2 Timothy 4.7. Look at this. Paul modeling it so well. Paul modeling this so well to us. Towards the end of Paul's ministry, he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let this example right here, this example that Paul is setting us, let this be the same example that we strive to follow. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can you say this? I wouldn't do this because this would be extremely awkward and weird. But if I were to walk around in this room right now and just ask every single one of you individually, are you running this race? Are you keeping the faith? What would your answer be? Are you even running this race at all? And I know, I know that it's easy to think this. It's easy to think, well, I try, Ben. Ben, I try so hard to run this race. I just, I don't have the strength. I try so hard to pursue a relationship with God. I try so hard to resist these temptations. I try so hard to make these decisions. I try so hard to live a good life, but Ben, I just don't have the strength. I don't have the perseverance. I don't have the talent. I can't do this on my own. Do I have good news for us in this room tonight? We do not accomplish this on our own strength. We do not accomplish this on our own strength, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in us, and when we proclaim Jesus as our Savior, when we proclaim Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and we no longer have to rely on our own strength. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us. It dwells inside of us. It gives us strength. It gives us comfort. It gives us peace. And we no longer have to rely on our own strength. And we can rest upon the strength of God, a strength that now, when we proclaim Jesus as our Savior, lives inside of us forever and dwells inside of us forever. Ever. We don't pursue obedience as believers because someone is watching us. We pursue obedience because someone is working in us. So how is it supposed to look? Ben, I get it. You've talked about 
There's work to be done. How is this even supposed to look? Where do I even begin? Should look like this. Our outer conduct should be mirrored by our inner conviction. We read, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that even in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As believers, our life is on display. As believers, our life is on display. I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know if you know this. Our life is on display. And what what I mean by this is that we are called to be salt and light in this world. We are called to stand out. Amongst a crooked generation, we are called to be blameless, and we are called to live a life that points directly to Christ. And what this means is that our inner convictions, what we read in Scripture, what we believe to be true through God's Word and the love of Christ that we have experienced, the love that we have living inside of us, it should directly affect the way that we live. It should directly affect the choices that we make. It should directly affect our outer conduct. So how, how do we get to this point? That's a good question. Paul starts off by telling the church of Philippi, okay, okay, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Let's start there. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And I'm going to be very vulnerable. When I first read this, I thought, okay, okay, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, I don't really get in fights with people. I can try to grumble less. feel like I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I got this handled. And this thought process for me lasted about three seconds. Because I realized it is so much deeper than this. And you see... A lot of sermons will address this this idea of, and and I'm not bashing these sermons, but a lot of sermons will address this idea of being salt and being light and making a difference, and and 100% true, 100% true. I'm not bashing these sermons, but we hear this a lot, I feel like. Preach from Matthew, maybe, whatever the case, we hear this a lot. And we can grow numb to it, and, and I feel like there's a temptation when we hear this, okay, make a difference, be salt, be light, live a blameless life, we immediately go towards a checklist. We immediately go towards a checklist. This is so easy to associate this call with with a checklist. We think, I must attend church three weeks out of the month. I must have all of this Bible knowledge. Must know about all of these biblical characters, right? I must know all of this scripture. And, I mean, all of this is good. 
All of these things are good things, and, and as believers, these are things that we should practice. These are disciplines that we should practice, but our confirmation cannot be rooted in our works. All of this is good, but this cannot be the scale in which we measure our Christian performance. And I, I, I hate even just using the word performance. But you, you do not become a good Christian by doing all of these things. By going to church every single week, by knowing all these Bible scripture, whatever the case, that is not the root. That cannot be the foundation. It's not rooted in fancy prayers. It's not rooted in Bible, in, in Bible knowledge, in church attendance. Everything that we do as believers must be first measured on the inside. Meaning that everything we do as believers must first operate off of our inner convictions. It cannot be measured off of our works, off of our performance. Like I said, those things are good things, but if we do not start at this basis, if we do not start at this basis, we are going to miss the point, and the basis needs to be this. The base, the foundation, it must be this. Asking ourselves the question, is the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Is the Holy Spirit living inside of you? That must be our foundation. And if it is, then reading this text, reading this command from Paul, it should humble us to our core. And it should humble us in a way that doesn't feel good, right? Before I got married, I had a good friend who's been married for a little bit over a year, so he's not, obviously he's not a, a veteran to the game or anything, but he... I just came to him, and, and I got married in June, and, and I came to him, and I asked him, hey, what is one thing I need to expect in marriage? And he told me, expect to be humbled. Expect to be humbled. And in short, he was right. 100%. I was humbled. I am constantly humbled through marriage. Marriage has taught me that it is not about me. Marriage has taught me that I must serve first before I am served. And I've been humbled through this process. I've been shown a lot of my weaknesses. And I've been shown, most importantly though, that I cannot fully accomplish what it means to be a godly husband to my wife if I am not leaning and submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, and if I am not in full service to God. And I'm not sharing this to bring up marriage. Marriage is not the, the, the main point that I want us to get out of. It's the main, being humble does not feel good. Being humble does not feel good. And so in this, hearing this call, It should grip us, and it should challenge us, it should shape us, and it should humble us in a way that does not feel good, does not feel comfortable, because this call right here, this call to be blameless, to live in contrast 
to the world. It directly points to our need for Christ and our inability to save ourselves. And these words represent an enormous responsibility, an enormous responsibility that we cannot fulfill on our own strength. And it's the responsibility, like I said, to live in contrast to this world. And as college students and as young adults in this room, one of the biggest challenges that we face in our lives is the hurdle of cultural Christianity. And cultural Christianity, if you're not familiar with cultural Christianity, cultural Christianity is in essence this. We take our will, we take what we want to do, And in whatever way we can, in whatever way it fits, we try to fit the will of God into that. We say, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. This is my desire. And however God fits into that, he, he he can come along for the ride. It's this temptation to pursue whatever you want. To put yourself first. To make yourself the king or the queen when it should be the exact opposite. It should be the will of God. The will of God under everything, at the foundation of everything. And us coming along with a posture of service, a posture of recognition that we are incapable without this. That we cannot live without this. And it means that we are to stand and to represent the exact opposite of what cultural Christianity stands for. Paul is calling the church at Philippi to be blameless, innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, the goal, it can never be and should never be to walk the line. The goal should never be to walk the line to see how close we can get, to dip, to dip our toe in the water, to test out whatever we want, to walk the line. Hey, I'm doing this. I'm technically on the line. Our goal should never be to walk the line. Our goal should be this, to live a blameless life. To live a life as far away from the line that we can possibly live. To run from the line. And I understand that as a believer and as an unbeliever in this room, hearing this word blameless, 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 that sounds a lot like the word perfection, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the word perfection, and and I've just gone on and on about how we're not perfect, how we're incapable on ourselves, so I'm talking about blameless, I'm talking about this word that sounds a lot like perfection, how can this be accomplished, Ben? You're not making any sense, there is no way. This definitely isn't for me, I definitely cannot do this, and when we hear these words, it is immediately tempting to think that this is a call to be perfect. This is not a call to be perfect. When we hear these words, we're not chasing after this call to be perfect. We're not chasing after this checklist. We are reminded of our reliance on God, on Jesus Christ, and on the Holy Spirit. 
Because we are reminded that no matter how much we chase after this blameless life on our own, we can never accomplish it unless we are submitted and in full submission to God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. So how can it be accomplished? Paul answers it for us right here. How can this be accomplished? Paul answers it right here. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that even in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We are not able to accomplish this because of our own strength, but because of the strength that has been given to us by the grace of God through His Holy Spirit. The fact that there is someone that goes by the name of Jesus that has lived the life that we could not live, has fulfilled what we could never fulfill by living a perfect life, by dying on the cross, by rising on the third day, by defeating death, by giving us an opportunity to have a relationship with the God of this universe again. And so we accomplish this not by our own strength, but bottom line, because we are not perfect. And here on this earth, we will never be. Because we are not perfect, because on our own we could never be capable, we cling to this word. We hold fast to this word. I'll say, if you are in here seeking answers, if you are in here with questions, with doubts, if you are in here trying to figure out who you are, what your identity is, if you're trying to figure out what path to take on your life, if you come with questions, which we all do, if you come with doubts, which we all do, if you come with insecurities, which we all do, the home for you the home for us, it cannot be in what we do. It must be in the perfect, inerrant word, in the perfect, inerrant scriptures that we have been so freely given. The word of God is our strength and our foundation. The word of God is our strength and our foundation. It is what we cling to. And so now we can let the word of God come into us, live in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can let our inner convictions, what is alive inside of us, we can let that influence our outer conduct. Not relying on a checklist, but relying on what Christ has done and what we could never do. And so what is an example of this? No greater person to look than Paul himself. I love how Paul often uses himself in his own life to show us. And he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. In these words, Paul is comparing himself to a drink offering. Paul is comparing himself to a drink offering. And you might be wondering, well, what is a drink offering? A drink offering is often referred to in the Old Testament. And what it is, is essentially this. When, when there was a sacrifice to be made, when an animal was to be sacrificed, a drink offering was essentially the pouring out of wine. Either on the ground, 
or along the altar. And through this, through Paul using this example, there is so much power. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I will rejoice. This is a vivid illustration of a life poured out. A life poured out and in service to the will of God. And, and, and what it shows us is this. What it shows us is something that we need to understand, we need to embrace, and it might be comfortable, uncomfortable to hear, but we need to embrace this. We are not, we are not the main characters of this story. We are not the main characters of this story. So oftentimes, our walk with the Lord, our walk with God is fueled by our success. Is fueled by where he takes us, the opportunities that he gives us, the, the school that he, he gets us into, the fraternity or the sorority that, that we're allowed to be a part of. And it's, and it's fueled by this because I've been given this, because all of this, because my confidence is super high. I can pursue God with everything that I have. We are not the main characters of this story. And we, we see through the words of Paul that as sacrificial drink offerings, even if we are to be sacrificial drink offerings and to be poured out on the ground, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. We can lay down our life and we can do it joyfully. My mom knew this man, and, and it was somebody back home. I'm from Tampa, Florida, so I don't know if anybody has been to Florida here, but I'm from Tampa, Florida. Love it. Grew up there 18 years. Came to Sanford, and I've lived here ever since. But living in Tampa, Florida, I, I remember this story. My mom and I used to go on walks together and just before I left for college, and it was something really special to me. And, and I remember her telling me this story. There was this doctor, this doctor who had his own practice. He had spent all, I mean, some of you guys are in pursuing the medical field. You know, being a doctor is not easy. It takes a lot of school, takes a lot of money, paying off a lot of loans, with a lot of hard work, a lot of studying. And so my mom was in the medical field for a little bit, and she knew of this guy who, who was in the medical field, and he had his own practice, had everything. Family and everything. They were living in Florida. A lot of people call Florida... Some people call it America's basement. Some people call it a great vacation place. So it goes back and forth. But they're living in Florida. What I consider a great place to live. They have everything that they could ever want. And suddenly this man, having his own practice, gives up everything. He gives up, sells his practice. And him and his family, him and his wife, they move to Uganda and he's still there today, and, and him and his wife have spent their years providing medical care and ministering and sharing the gospel to the citizens in a community in Uganda that would not have access to the medical care if they were not there. Unpaid, leaving the comfort of their home, moving to a completely different place on the globe, Even if 
we are to be poured out. As sacrificial offerings, we can rejoice. It is not about our own comfort. It is not about our own, sec- our own success. It is about laying down our lives. It is about having the posture of, Lord, my life is yours. My life is yours. My life is in full devotion to you. And this is not sad. This is not something that's morbid. This is not something that causes us to mope or to groan or to grieve. This is something that we can celebrate and we can rejoice. We can rejoice in the fact that it never has to be about us. We can rejoice in the fact that the story of Jesus is true. What he has done is true. What he has done holds up. We can rejoice in the fact that the prophecy has been fulfilled, that that God has not broken his covenant to us. He has fulfilled everything that he has promised, and there is a way back to the Father. We can rejoice because Jesus is alive, Jesus is living, and Jesus is amongst us in this room tonight. And we can rejoice because we serve a king that has already claimed the victory. And so, with this being true, with us hearing these words, with us being gripped by these words, with us being challenged by these words, let us not run away from this call, faithful obedience. Let us not put ourselves first. Let us instead lay down at the feet of God, saying, my life is yours, and let us chase after this call of faithful obedience, knowing that wherever we are, no matter the discomfort that we are facing, we can rejoice because our King has already claimed the victory. Lord, we're thankful because you have done done something that we could never do. We're thankful, God, because you are who you say You are, and we're thankful, Lord, that we have the beautiful chance to serve you, something that we don't deserve. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So for the next two minutes, we call it 120 seconds. For those of you that are unfamiliar with this time, what we do is is we like to take this time. It's going to be quiet in this room. It might be a little awkward, but we love to embrace that. For the next 120 seconds, so two minutes, I want you to just reflect personally. Two questions. What has the Lord told you tonight? And answer that with what are you going to do about it. Take 120 seconds. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.